We left off last Sunday talking about the deity of the Spirit, and I had a couple more sections here to go on that. Um, so we'll, we'll pick up right there where we left off on the attributes of the Spirit. So uh, one way to show the deity of the Spirit is to see attributes that are said of the Holy Spirit that apply only to God. And so if these are only true of God and the Holy Spirit is said to have these, then that would be a proof of his deity. Uh, number one on that list would be eternality. Uh, Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so the Holy Spirit there is said to be the eternal Spirit. Uh, eternality, of course, is only an attribute of God. Therefore, the Spirit is divine. Number two, omniscience. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And then number three is omnipresence. Uh, Psalm 139.7, Where shall I go from your Spirit, or where shall I f uh, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So the Spirit is said to be eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, all attributes of God alone. Next, and we'll go through these quickly, works of God alone that are said to be done by the Spirit, kind of along the same lines. Number one, creation. The Spirit creates. Genesis 1-2, <clears throat> the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so it's interesting, if you look throughout Scripture, you'll see... The Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved uh, in the creation of the world. We don't get too much in terms of specifics, um, but Colossians said, and John 1 says uh, that everything was made by Christ. And yet, here we see the Spirit involved, and obviously the Father's involved, all three working together in creation. Uh, next, regeneration. <clears throat> Jesus says in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and which is, uh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Uh, Titus 3, also on this uh, role of regeneration, Titus 3.3. 3. Uh, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, That's a really good text on the Trinity. You can see all the members of the Trinity involved there, but verse 5, uh, just notice the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. He is involved in our regeneration. Number three, sanctification. Again, a work of God that is done by the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And there you see the Spirit's role in our sanctification. Next, <clears throat> uh, sorry, uh, 
Under the sanctification, also 2 Corinthians 3, 18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Great um, explanation there of what we call progressive sanctification, how we are made more and more like Christ. And notice, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. Uh, last under this, raising the dead. I mean, who can raise the dead but God alone? And yet we are told that the Spirit raises the dead. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And so the Spirit uh, gives life. He gave life to Christ after his death uh, when he rose him from the dead, and he will give life to us as well. Uh, so that's kind of the conclusion of our section on the deity of the Spirit. I know we left off in a weird spot last week, uh, but I want to read through <clears throat> the section of our statement of faith that we've covered uh, last week and this week, and then I'll, I'll ask if you have any questions or comments. Uh, we believe that God, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of God, fully divine. The Holy Spirit is not a force, but a person within the Godhead, possessing all, at, all the attributes of personality, including intellect, emotions, and will. And so basically, uh, we've talked about the personhood of the Spirit. The Spirit, again, is not a force. Uh, he is a person. He, he acts like a person. He does things as a person. And then secondly, that the Spirit is God. The Spirit is divine, just as much God as uh, Jesus or the Father. Any questions? We'll move on to our next section then. Uh, we're going to be talking now about the filling of the Spirit. And this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning. The filling of the Spirit. Uh, this is a conversation that I think uh, gets confused a lot. Uh, if I asked you, I want to put you all on the spot. Can you define for me what, what the filling of the Spirit is? Maybe give me a sentence or two about what that looks like. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Anybody want to take a stab at that? So could we call that empowered by the Spirit? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Okay. So the Spirit <clears throat> being filled with... So there's a sense in which you're saying all Christians are filled with the Spirit. I mean, we just read that in Romans, right? Everybody who's uh, in Christ has the Spirit. And yet, <clears throat> there's a sense also in which some are more... Or at, at certain times, the Holy Spirit... Um, works in us more manifestly for a specific thing that he's leading us to do. Is that what you're getting at? Okay. Anybody else want to add to that? <clears throat> okay, so that would be filling of the Spirit, meaning basically being controlled by the Spirit, which is... 
allowing the spirit to right have his way in your life. Okay, a little bit of a difference. Um, I think <clears throat> both are true. Okay, so what you're saying reminds me of Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Well, there's obviously a parallel there, right? That being controlled by alcohol when you consume too much of it and it controls your actions, causes you to do wacky things in the same sort of way. I don't like people saying I'm drunk on the spirit. I always had a problem with that. But um, there is a, a, that is an illustration that is inspired in the text, right? Paul gives us that. So there is a sense in which being filled by the spirit includes uh, yielding to the spirit, allowing him to have his way in your life. Um, what Malachi pointed out, I think we'll see more as we go into this, is really clear in the Old Testament especially. You see some of it in the New Testament for sure. Um, but in the Old Testament, when you talk about someone, you know, the Spirit rushed on someone, and then they did something. Um, so there does seem to be a, a more pronounced um, movement of the Spirit, if you would say it in that way, in someone's life. So we're going to look at both aspects of those. Today we're going to focus on the first part of that, uh, kind of what Malachi was saying. Next week we'll get into more of uh, Catherine's point there. Um, we're going to move into this discussion of the filling of the Spirit Beginning in the Old Testament, we're going to carry into the New. And we're going to do this a little bit differently than I typically do. Uh, normally, I do a lot of study through Scripture on these subjects and then kind of distill them down for you in points or something. Uh, but today, because of the nature of what we're talking about, I think it would be, it would be better, uh, more beneficial for you, if, if I kind of lead you through that study. Um, so we're going to walk through Scripture, tracing this theme of Holy Spirit filling and then at the end, we can uh, try to draw some conclusions from it. Because it's not really like I can just point to a verse and say, oh, this is what Holy Spirit filling means. It's a little bit more complex than that. So I want to walk us through Scripture and see what this looks like. Uh, first, a quick bit of Bible trivia. Uh, who is the first person in the Bible who is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Anybody want to take a guess there? Elizabeth? No. Old Testament. <clears throat> first person in the Bible. He's not well known. I'll give you that hint. <laughs> so if you're thinking Abraham or Moses, nope. Kind of a random guy. Bezalel. Bezalel. <clears throat> uh, Exodus 31 is where we see this mention. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, or Bezalel, depending on your translation, uh, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze. Okay, so this is um, at the building of the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God gives commands to Moses, instructions, very detailed uh, blueprints of what he wants the tabernacle to look like when it's built. And then he says... Uh, Bezalel, this guy, I have given him the, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God has given him uh, ability, intelligence, knowledge, and craftsmanship to make stuff out of gold and bronze. That was the Spirit's manifestation in his life. You should have known this one. <laughs> okay. Um, so he, he's been given the Spirit of God in order to craft these elements that would be in the tabernacle. Uh, chapter 35, Moses goes on, he, he says to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, 
with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting of stones for setting, in carving of wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Ohaliab, uh, the son of, oh boy, I don't even know, of the tribe of Dan. Uh, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Okay, so Bezalel and Ohaliab were given the spirit which empowered them to design and build things for the tabernacle, uh, to sew stuff, to craft things out of bronze. That was the Holy Spirit's work through these two. <clears throat> now, it doesn't say it specifically in this text, okay, but I think this would imply that the Spirit was filling them specifically for this task, meaning it wasn't necessarily the, the uh, duration of their life that they were filled with the Spirit. Uh, as we'll continue looking at other cases in the Old Testament, I think we'll see that implication becoming uh, clearer. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> but just notice there that the Holy Spirit filled these two specifically in order that they would uh, carry out this task that God wanted them to do. Uh, next, we'll see the Holy Spirit on Moses and the 70. This is Numbers 11. Uh, this is during the wandering journey through the desert to the Promised Land. Uh, the Israelites are complaining. They're giving Moses headaches regularly. And so Moses finally comes to God and says, I've had enough. I cannot deal with these people. Please kill me. <laughs> that, that's his prayer. Um, and so, and by the way, keep in mind, Moses is leading over half a million people. Uh, through a desert. I mean, you can imagine the constant bickering and issues he's having to deal with. Uh, if you've had kids, of course, <laughs> you understand that. I mean, imagine 500,000 kids. It's unbelievable to even think of. So uh, no doubt this was a lot of pressure on Moses. Verse 14 of Numbers 11, he says, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Uh, verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down, I will talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Okay, so there's uh, a lot that we can say about this. Again, the implication seems to be that the Holy Spirit was not on uh, everyone. The Holy Spirit was not even on all of the true followers of God. Uh, seems like verse 17 is saying the Holy Spirit's on Moses, uh, which makes sense. Moses is leading the people, okay? And now he's taking the Holy Spirit that's on Moses, and he's also putting the Holy Spirit on these 70 others. He fills them with the Spirit, in order that they could help Moses lead the people. Verse 24, Moses went out, he told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent, speaking of the tabernacle. Uh, verse 25, the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they cannot, did not continue doing it. Now, a few things to note here. Uh, again, the filling of the Spirit seems to be connected with a specific task that God wants these people to do. Okay, so not everybody was filled with the Spirit. Those that God had selected for leadership so far is what we've seen. 
uh, they are given the Holy Spirit to assist them and empower them, guide them as they lead Israel. And so uh, also notice the manifestation of the Spirit's presence. They prophesied. Okay, so the Spirit comes on them and they prophesied. I don't know exactly what that looks like, uh, but it seems clear to me, and in other, here and in other texts in the Old Testament, that this was some sort of visible um, manifestation of the Holy Spirit on someone, so that everybody around watching them would see, oh wow, the Holy Spirit's on these, these 70, uh, which would make sense because if, if they're going to help Moses lead Israel, the rest of the Israelites need to look at them as authorities. And so this is God placing his stamp of approval saying, uh, just like I put my spirit on Moses and he's been my representative, okay, I'm putting my spirit on these 70 as well. And so there's this outward visible manifestation of uh, prophesying. Verse 26, now two men remained in the camp. One named Eldad, the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's prophets... All the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. And here we get just a glimpse of what is going to come in the New Testament. Uh, Moses is thrilled that he's got help <laughs> and that God has put his spirit on others. And so Joshua, this is, by the way, the same Joshua that ends up leading Israel later. He comes to Moses and says, hey, these guys are prophesying. People are looking at them as uh, as authorities, kind of like they look at you. And Moses says, great, uh, that's what I want. I don't want to have to lead these people on my own. And then he says, I wish God would put his spirit on all of you. And on the day of Pentecost, of course, that's exactly what God does. It seems to be a little hint of what is to come in the future. Uh, the next person we're going to look at is Joshua. You see him mentioned there in Numbers 11. Uh, notice Numbers 27. The Lord says to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. So the Holy Spirit has been placed on Joshua. Okay, And again, uh, that makes perfect sense as Joshua is the one who's going to lead Israel into the Promised Land. And so the, the Spirit's filling seems to be connected to key people in Israel that God wants to appoint to a specific task. We have uh, Bezalel, who was given the Spirit to guide him and give him wisdom and skill in building the elements of the tabernacle. Uh, then the Spirit fills um, uh, Moses and Joshua, as they are leading Israel, along with the 70 others. Okay, next person we'll look at is Othniel. Uh, and here in Judges, we'll see God's Spirit regularly comes on people who will become great military warriors, uh, the ones who defeat Israel's enemies. Judges 3, verse 9. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war. The Lord gave him Cushan-Rishathiam, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And so it goes on to talk about military victories that Othniel uh, won. So the Holy Spirit was on Othniel to deliver Israel from their enemies. Again in Judges, very same concept, Gideon, chapter 6. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet, uh, and the Abarizites uh, were called out to follow him. Again, the filling of the Spirit on Gideon 
is so that he would be guided and empowered to defeat Israel's enemies. Uh, Judges 11.29, Jephthah, the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. Uh, he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and, and he goes on to talk about his, his victory in battle again. All of these are the same uh, point here. Uh, the Spirit comes on certain people that are then empowered for a specific job. The filling of the Spirit is connected to someone being raised up to accomplish a task by God. Uh, Samson, in Judges 13, a woman bore a son, called his name Samson. The young man grew. The Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Okay, and it goes on in chapter 14. Um, again, the Spirit of God did not seem to be on Samson all the time. It was only when he needed it. Uh, when God wanted him to do something, the Spirit came on him and gave him the supernatural strength, you know, physical strength to do it. So Judges 14.6 is a good example. Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Uh, later, verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him again, Samson. He went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of that town, took their spoil, gave their garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Um, in chapter 15, Samson is captured. He's tied up by the Philistines. And then uh, notice it says the Philistines are shouting to meet him. The Spirit of the Lord, again, rushed upon him. And the ropes that were in his arms became as flax that, he had, that had caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. That just means he was given so much strength, he ripped off uh, the ropes. They tied him up with like it was nothing. Verse 15. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. I don't know how you kill a thousand people with a jawbone, uh, but he did it. Okay. So the Holy Spirit, again, not on him all the time. It rushes on him at certain times to give him the power to do a specific task. Uh, the next person we see filled with the Spirit is Saul. And it's connected to his being empowered again to lead Israel as their first king. 1 Samuel 10, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now, with Saul in particular, we know that the filling of the Spirit was not permanent. Uh, toward the end of his reign as king, the Spirit actually leaves Saul because of his disobedience. Uh, you remember in chapter 16, verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Uh, the rest of the verse goes on to talk about a harmful spirit from the Lord. Not going to get into that today. Uh, but just notice, the Spirit was put on Saul uh, during his anointing before he becomes king to empower him for this leadership role. And then in verse uh, chapter 16, the Spirit leaves Saul. So it's not a permanent, lifelong uh, situation here. And again, the Spirit's filling seems to be connected to a specific function or task that God wants him to do. <clears throat> in the same chapter, the Spirit is put on David, who will then be king. Verse 13, Samuel took a horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So this seems to be a unique situation. Um, I take this statement to mean that David was filled with the Spirit throughout his life. So he seems to be a, a different uh, a, a special situation there. That's why in Psalm 51, for example, he prays um, after his sin with Bathsheba, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. It seems like the Spirit was placed on David at his anointing and it continued throughout his, his life. Uh, which <clears throat> makes sense considering, I mean, think of all of the chapters of the Bible that David wrote throughout his life. I mean, God clearly inspired him over and over to write Psalms uh, most of the, the psalms that we have are written by David. 
Okay, David also was a military leader who had all sorts of military victories. That's in fact why God told him he can't build the temple, you remember, uh, because he was such a, a mighty warrior and he had killed so many people. Uh, so the spirit was, it, it seems to me, uniquely placed on David uh, throughout his life as he led Israel and, of course, wrote scripture and did many other things. So the Holy Spirit has been placed so far, we've seen on um, Moses and Joshua. We've seen it on the judges like Samson, Samson, Jephthah, Othniel, Gideon, and then also on kings like Saul and David. All of these were empowered by the Spirit for their leadership over Israel, for military victories and so forth. And then we've also seen uh, Bezalel being filled with the Spirit to craft things. Uh, certain leaders like the 70 in Israel who were filled with the Spirit to lead people wisely. Uh, by the way, another example, I didn't uh, have this in my notes, but uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis would be another example where the Spirit was placed. Uh, you remember, um, getting ahead of myself, Joseph comes to Pharaoh, warns of the, the coming years of famine, and says you need to store up food, you need to be really smart during these seven good years to prepare for the, the, the coming bad years. And Pharaoh says, well, there's nobody like you that has the Spirit of God on him. You have such wisdom, why don't you take care of this? And so the Spirit of God seems to be on Joseph, again, connected to a specific task in order to prepare Israel, uh, well, prepare Egypt for the coming famine, store up food, and what does that ultimately do? It saves Israel. It saves the, you know, his family from starving in the bloodline of Christ from ending. So again, I didn't go there in my notes, but that's another example of the Spirit's filling connected to a specific task that God wanted Joseph to do. Okay, uh, next, there's another category here that we haven't looked at yet, and that is prophets. Those who are filled with the Spirit of God in order to speak on his behalf. Second Chronicles 15.1 The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Odad, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And the prophecy goes on from there. But notice verse 1 says the Spirit comes on him and he speaks. He gives the word of God to Asa. Uh, another prophet, same uh, type of experience here, Second Chronicles 24, the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, thus says God, and he goes on to give the prophecy. But just notice, clearly there, he, he wasn't uh, filled with the Spirit his whole life. <clears throat> it says the Spirit came on him, and so he stood up and spoke. This was kind of a sudden thing that, the whole, that God gave the Holy Spirit to Zechariah in order to prophesy for him. Uh, the prophets in <clears throat> Nehemiah 9, they say that this was a regular action throughout the history of Israel. They're kind of recounting God's um, actions toward Israel. Nehemiah 9.30, Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit <clears throat> through the prophets. Okay, so God had given prophets and he had given them the spirit in order to speak for God. Along with this uh, also comes the writing of scripture, of course. We know that the Holy Spirit guided those prophets as they wrote our Old Testament. 2 Peter 1.21, Peter says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so to recap all of this then, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit seems to come upon a select number of people, not all the followers of God, but on specific people. God puts His Spirit on them, for leadership, like the judges, the kings, Moses, Joshua, for specific tasks like Bezalel, crafting things with bronze, or uh, Samuel, killing a bunch of people with a jawbone. 
Uh, God puts his spirit also on the prophets in order to have them speak God's words and write scripture. And the spirit in all of these cases seems to be on these people for this specific uh, role that God has them to do. In other words, it's connected to a task, a service. It comes and goes. It's not on them for the duration of their life. Uh, King David may be an exception, okay? But, you know, Saul, the spirit's on him, and then it leaves him. Uh, Samson, the spirit comes on him, he does something great, and then it seems to disappear. So the spirit comes on these people. It does not stay with them uh, for the duration of their life. Now, one final prophet we need to look at in the Old Testament, and that, and that is John the Baptist. I know we tend to think of John as New Testament, but he was not. Uh, he died prior to the death and resurrection of Christ, so he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And John, like King David, seems to have been a little bit of a unique situation in that, at least my reading of this, seems like he was uniquely filled with the Spirit throughout his life, uh, very similar to David. Now, of course, John did not live very long. Uh, you know, he died <clears throat> seemingly around 30 years of age. He was put in prison then killed pretty quickly after. Uh, so, but his ministry, of course, was very important, preparing people for the Lord's coming. Uh, and his ministry had a huge impact throughout Israel because the Holy Spirit was on him. Luke 1.13. Uh, the angel comes to Zechariah and says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been, uh, have, has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Uh, he will turn many <clears throat> of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So John, uh, by the way, he's the only person in Scripture that is said to be filled with the Spirit before his birth, uh, which we'll see exactly where that happens. But uh, John also, both of his parents were filled with the Spirit. Uh, Luke 1.39, In those days Mary arose, went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. This is John the Baptist's mother. She's pregnant with John. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the, sounding, uh, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Uh, verse 67 of the same chapter, you see Zechariah is filled with the Spirit. He prophesies, uh, saying, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Speaking of John the Baptist, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So again, even though John seems to have been filled with the Spirit uniquely uh, throughout his life and ministry, Again, we see it is connected to a specific service. So the Holy Spirit was placed on John the Baptist because God had chosen John to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And so that's the pattern we see really throughout the Old Testament, that God selects certain people, says, I want this guy uh, to be used in this special way. I'm going to give my spirit to him to guide him and to empower him. In the New Testament, we see a transition. We'll get to that next week. We don't have time to go there today. Uh, but in the New Testament... That's why Pentecost is such a big deal. It's the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that there would be a day in which the Spirit would be given to all. 
to young and old, men and women, doesn't matter. It's going to be given to everybody, talking about all Christians, of course. And so uh, there, <clears throat> that's what happens <clears throat> in Acts chapter 2, is no longer is the Spirit only given or put upon um, you know, people in leadership, people appointed to specific tasks, but rather it's given to all Christians. Um, and of course, I'll, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's given to us to fulfill a task, right? Which is the Great Commission. Acts 1.8, the Spirit comes on you and you'll be witnesses. And so we'll get to that later. Uh, but <clears throat> it, it, there is a major shift that, that happens from the Old Testament to the New Testament in terms of the filling of the Spirit. Who is filled with the Spirit? Uh, the permanence of that. We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, the difference as New Testament Christians, that the Spirit doesn't come on us and then leave us, but the Spirit is with us throughout the duration of our lives and uh, what that looks like for us. Any questions? Well, we've covered a lot of ground here, but we do have a few minutes left. Any questions or comments that you've had? Catherine. Boy, we could ask that of ourselves, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Um, how did David, how can we say David was filled with the Spirit and yet he did so many terrible things? Um, just because, again, just because someone is filled with the Spirit, I don't think that means we can't quench the Spirit. So in other words, being filled with the Spirit means <clears throat> the Spirit leads us, He gives us guidance, I mean, He gives us wisdom. I mean, think of Solomon. You know, God's Spirit's on Solomon in a way that gives him wisdom, and yet he does some really dumb things. So you can still kick against the Spirit's leading in your life, uh, just as we see in the New Testament and in all of our lives, right? We do stupid things, uh, even though the Spirit convicts us and, and urges us to do otherwise. <clears throat> so, good questions. Uh, but yeah, I, I do believe, again, I could be wrong about that, but I, I take those scriptures to mean that David seems to have been unique uh, in being filled with the Spirit throughout the duration of his life. That seems to be the implication of that text. But good question. Anything else? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's, I, there's so many ways to, to show that the Bible is anti-abortion, but that is one, uh, Luke 1, that John the Baptist is filled with the Spirit, uh, even in his mother's womb. He's called a baby. The baby leaps for joy. It doesn't say his, his, her stomach moves. It says the baby. There was a baby in there. So anyway, I, <laughs> this is really getting off on a tangent. Um, I saw something this week where someone was trying to say that the new, the NIV came out with a new translation, um, kind of updated some things. And there's some random text in, oh man, I don't remember, somewhere in, in the Old Testament, I think in the Pentateuch. 
about um, a, a woman who's pregnant miscarrying. There's a difference in translation, whether it means miscarriage or not. And so abortion advocates were trying to say, oh, well, see, the Bible condones abortion. It's like, good grief. There, you have to ignore so much scripture uh, to come to that conclusion based on a random verse that is, you know, debated as to how to translate this random Hebrew word. But anyways, uh, but yeah, that's a good implication from Luke 1 that, yes, John was a baby and uh, apparently he was a little prophet, even in his mother's womb. So, all right, we'll get into the New Testament then next week and we'll pick up there.